You know, in my devotions time this week, I found this story that I'd never seen before. And remember, for those of us who are older, we remember when East Germany was a horrible place to live. It was communism, and everyone that tried would try to escape over to the other side of Germany. And those many gave their lives trying to get to freedom. And then one day, the wall just came down. Now, everyone's got opinions. And everyone's, but it just shocked me. It shocked a lot of people. Um, but I was reading an article about a pastor's conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where five pastors from East Germany, right after the wall came down, were at this conference, didn't even speak English. And they found an interpreter, and they told them that they had gotten a hold of a book that was smuggled into East Germany, and it taught Christians the authority of the believer. And they began to pray for their leaders. They'd never even dreamed that a church could have authority, like most of the church. Sorry, I've traveled the world teaching denominations and churches, and, and there's so few understand this. And they began to pray for their leaders, began to believe the church wouldn't change their country. And they did. And shortly after, that wall came down, and there's freedom there. And I don't care what anybody says about the political moves, etc. I know that it's the church of Jesus Christ that brings the strength to countries and nations. And uh, so, amen. So we now pray for Canada. Because when I'm dead and gone, generations of my family and yours are going to go on with freedom, freer, more blessed, stronger, doing greater things. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for our leaders. We pray for Canada. We pray right now that you would touch them, that you would speak to them in the night season. You would guide them with the wisest leaders. That, Father, wherever they are, even if they don't know you yet, that, Father, you'd surround them, that you'd give them a sense of what direction to go. Father, wherever there are leaders in this nation, whether it's business or politics or education or healthcare or arts entertainment, where they refuse, Father, we command them moved out. And in the name of Jesus, raise up leaders, Father. Bring them in, men and women, who will lead this nation into freedom. Father, we pray that right now and for every demonic assignment against them, we command it destroyed. And your presence guides them in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. It's interesting. You know, just before I get into the message, I've got to tell you a story. Sal and I were, our whole family descended on the Calgary Stampede about a month ago. And Sally and I are kind of, you know, at a place now where the rides aren't that much fun anymore. <laughs> So all the kids and the grandkids wanted to go riding. So Sally grabbed the baby and I grabbed the baby. We let them go. We just sat down on the sidelines there. And, and to, our, to our left was four moms from Nigeria. and They had all their kids around and they were having a hoot. And then they began to unpack their lunch. They had cooked it, made it, left it in the pots. And then they began to just pull it all out of this wagon, filled up this table full of food, and uh, so we're just sitting there, and we like visiting with strangers and people we don't know. And so Sally, ha one of them happens to look at Sally, and Sally just goes, that looks so good. Well, the second she said that, I mean, this mom is up, and she's bringing Sally over and sitting here at the table and getting a plate in front of her, and then she gets a plate in front of me. And, 
And for the next 30 minutes, it was laughing and talking as she asked him, how'd you cook that? Now, it's just very spicy before I put it in my mouth because I can't, you know, just that kind of talk. And I just witnessed this beautiful hospitality from these women towards Sally and I. And I said, Lord, help us as a church to make sure that we keep that in our hallways, in our coffee shops. Hospitality is powerful, powerful. When we don't understand someone's culture, we tend to shy away or just kind of be polite and tiptoe by. But that's not what God intended. Sit down and ask questions. And what's this mean? And just talk. Get to know each other. Because Springs Church, we've got the nations coming here. Don't know what God is up to, but the nations of the world are coming to us and attending. And we need to become friends. We need to reach out to each other because we've got a big job to do to touch a nation and the world. So, all right, let me get to my message. Burning up time. I want to talk to you today about something that changed my life when I was a teenager. Many of you know my story. I was raised in a Christian home, and both of my parents were pastors. My mom is a prolific teacher. My dad, a preaching machine. So I kind of had the best of both worlds. And they taught me the word way before, I mean, right from the ground up. You know, Sal and I were talking about our kids and trying to teach them how to pray so that if we're not around, that they didn't feel, you know, lost if they hurt themselves, that they would learn to pray. We thought, well, what verse should we teach them to pray and what prayer should we show them? So we, we, we shrunk it down to the shortest possible prayer going. And it was Pango, healing flow. It's four words <laughs> in Jesus' name. And that's how they would pray. We just grew up that way with our kids and our grandkids. In fact, we were at camp one year. I was speaking there, and we were in the dining hall. And I think Zachary must have been three, four, and he is bolting through the dining hall. He shouldn't have been running. And someone came out of the kitchen with some food, and as they carried it, you know how sometimes you can just hit the swinging doors and it blasted open? Well, it was like the perfect storm. This door came open, and he came straight into it, head first. It hit him, the boom, you could hear it. He blew back, I don't know how many feet. He hits the ground, and everybody is just, and this little sucker goes, pain go, healing flow, Jesus' name, amen, jumps up and runs out. <laughs> so don't tell me that kids don't know how to pray and believe God uh, for things. But... This issue on authority began to come to me in my late teens. Is there authority that I have that I don't know I have? I was raised in a Christian home with pastors, and I became uh, very disenfranchised with wimpy, pathetic, judgmental Christian. And I just knew there was, there's got to be something different than this mamby-pamby toast soaked in tea kind of living. You know what I mean? And I begin to ask myself, is there a different Christianity than, than I see so many doing? Because Jesus didn't function that way. And I, and I set my mind on reading some of the many prolific teachers of the past and diving into the Word myself. And I found something interesting when I followed Jesus. Jesus would go places and demons would scream through people, meaning demon-possessed people. And they would say things like, and the Bible records two or three instances of this, and then it says many times this happened, where he'd walk into the tabernacle, and, and all of a sudden a demonically possessed man would go, Oh, Holy One, have you come to torment us before our time? I know who you are! Like this really wimpy, pathetic thing. 
And Jesus would just say, shut up. Come out of it. He goes someplace else, and one time two demon-possessed men. You know, if you're going to be a Christian, you can understand there's another dimension called the spirit world, and there are spirit beings. You know, and, and the world wants you to stop believing that we have alien entities on this planet in another dimension. They're going to try to mess with you. They are, believe me. And usually any doctor uh, who's involved in, you know, the front lines, like emergency, uh, paramedics, firemen, boy, you see some of the sickest things that only, you, only demon, demonically oppression would, would cause. But I begin to look, and this one time Jesus is walking through a place called the Gadarenes. It was a place no one went to because two demon-possessed men were so violent and so strong that no one would walk past this cemetery. Jesus did, and they came screaming out of this cemetery, We know you who you are, O Holy One. I don't think they were screaming, but that was the words they used. We know who you are, O Holy One. Have you come to put us away before the time? Interesting, there's a time. Everything's going to change. Um, and it says multiple times that when Jesus went somewhere, and why is this important? Because as I begin to study authority, I thought, how come wherever Jesus went, it caused disruption? He must have had some kind of authority I don't understand. There, there had to be something, you know, something, well, he was the son of God. I get you. But the Bible says he gave up all power and authority associated with his previous position. He's walking the planet as a human being. Then I begin to dive further into the Word of God, and I begin to see incredible teaching. I mean, back when I was a teenager, it was all about the cross. I love the cross. Jesus died on the cross for me so that my sins would be paid. He went to hell in my place. He arose again. He seated at the right hand of the Father. I love the cross. But the cross is a brutal sign of death. And then people would make the cross their doctrinal theme. The cross, the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross. And I think like, oh man, like, and then it would always be, um, you know, pick up your cross daily and follow me. And what that meant to people was stay meek and and trembling the cross, the cross. I'm a good for nothing, uh, you know, two-toned skunk, lower than a snake's belly. Thank you, Jesus, you think about me. This, this was what we thought was humility. And I was, grew up in a time when humility was the most important thing to the church, but it was focused on so much it was taken out of context. And if you were confident, you were proud. Confidence is not pride. And so everybody would just try to act humble, be humble, and they were so proud of their humility. But I looked and I saw that when Jesus walked around, there was a complete authority that came out of him. And, and I was hungry. I, I wanted to function as a believer without having to be this pathetic, wimpy, judgmental little Christian and I hated religion, and I found out as I studied it that the worst demonic, uh, the worst demons there were at the time were religious demons. Don't ever forget that. The devil goes to church. Some of the people are the most unhappy, are the most judgmental, wicked people have evil spirits called religious spirits. That's why they make your stomach turn. You don't want to hang around them. You're like, ah. Oh. So how could that be? The Bible says Satan 
is an angel of light. The word light, the Bible says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. He will use the word uh, to try to mess with your life. So you need to learn the word, grow in the word. And so this issue of, is there authority that we, that we have? Now let me re read you a verse that, you know, you can read things through religiously, but when you read it through and you're on the hunt, and Holy Spirit can, can just kind of just into your spirit. Listen to this. Luke 10, verse 19, reading from the Amplified Translation, it says, Behold, I have given you authority and power to trample on serpents and scorpions. Now, serpents and scorpions were often used as a figurative look at demons. Why? Because snakes bite you and scorpions sting you. They're nothing friendly about them. It says, Behold, I have given you authority and power to trample now, it didn't say to sweetly move out of the way. Trample is a warfare term. We're talking just trample the sucker. We're talking dominate that thing. We're talking authority and power. Behold, I have given you authority and power to trample serpents and scorpions and physical and mental strength and ability over all the power of the enemy. All that he possesses, it says, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Yeah, but pastor, nothing shall by any means hurt you. But I got to say, nothing shall by any means hurt you. Well, I remember it. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Talk about authority. And so verses like this that I had listened to, but they kind of went in one ear and out the other, begin to register in my heart. And I begin, okay, that's a whole level of authority. And Jesus is saying, I've given you. You need to put your name in there. I've given Leon authority and power to trample any snakes and scorpions coming his way. He's got physical and mental strength and ability over all the power that the enemy possesses. And nothing shall by any means hurt Leon. Get your name in there and start reading it every day out loud. It'll make you wake up to an authority. Now, the devil hates people who find out their authority. Hates it. And so when you start learning this, you know, there's going to be things that might crop up here and there in his pathetic little ability to try to turn you away from this teaching. And religion, everywhere I go, when you begin to teach from the Word of God on the authority of a follower of Christ, the authority of a believer, you'll run into Christians all the time. Wow, you got to be careful now. And you can just see the religions push at it. And people will psychoanalyze it and they'll theologically analyze it and just kind of clear it out. You know, that no, 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 that's not what it means. That would be man taking premise over God. I've heard them all. But after 40 years of preaching, I found what works. We have authority. Now, Jesus then says, next verse, Nevertheless, do not rejoice that spirits are subject to you. Okay, stop right there. We go right past that line because we go, but that your names are enrolled in heaven. That is, that's eternity. If your name's in the book of life, you're going to be in heaven forever. But let's back up. You know when someone talks, then they can say something three paragraphs back and you can't get your brain past that one line they just said. He just said, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. What? Spirits are subject to me. Yes. Why is that important? 
Because everything evil, everything negative, everything that steals, everything that kills, everything that destroys any area of your life comes from the evil one. There is nothing in God that will use sickness. He won't use death. He won't use theft. He, is, he doesn't need all those sick tools to teach you anything. Okay? Now, if you're going through stuff and you learn something, great! But he did not put that on you to try to teach you something. All of this negativity comes from the dark side. It comes from the evil one. So when you realize that spirits are subject to you, you have authority. Authority over spirits of infirmity or sickness. Spirits of poverty that can harass your career. Spirits that will attack your mind. Just put a band around your head so tight you haven't had a good emotion in years. They'll try anything in their power. People are like, how do you know if it's a demon or not? Don't worry about it. I mean, he's like a shark. Drop of blood in the water, they're going to come. So anything that goes wrong, he's involved somewhere. Doesn't mean anything like powerful. No. Once you understand your authority, that we have authority over all spirits, that Jesus has defeated them so finely. Now, then I begin to study the book of Ephesians. And I found out that Ephesians speaks more about the authority of the believer than any other book. That's interesting. So Paul, speaking to the Ephesians, shows them their authority. But then so does James in the book of James. So does Peter in the book of Peter. And so does Jesus in his teachings. There's literally four of them in each of the books they wrote that, that's focused on. There's authority to a believer. And you'd better learn it. And you'd better use it. I was in a conference in the southern states as a young man. And this precious, gray-haired gentleman got up to teach and We'd come to hear him and other speakers. And, and he began to share a story that changed his life. And he said, Jesus appeared to me. Now, that kind of set me back because I don't know too many people that Jesus would appear to them. And he explained why. And he said, as Jesus was talking to me, we were talking about things. And then he said, this little imp demon kind of just runs in the middle of us and bah, just starts, you know, yakety yak, yak, just kind of interfering. And he's going, Hello, Jesus. Like, do something is what he's thinking. And Jesus just kept talking to him. But he wasn't hearing anything. And he just got so ticked off. He said, get out of here, Jesus' name. And the thing was gone. And then he said, Jesus, like, I haven't been hearing you. Like, why didn't you deal with that? And Jesus said to him, I can't. He said, what? And he said, go to the Word of God, and you'll find there's nowhere in the New Covenant where you pray to the Father to deal with the devil. The authority has been given to the church. And the church is to bind, to loose. The church is to use the authority that they have. You see, you have been given authority. And you have a responsibility to use it. If you do not become responsible to use your authority then God is helplessly looking on. And someone says, you can't call God helpless? Oh, yes, I can. God is helpless in changing a man who refuses to accept him. He has to honor the freedom he gave him right to the door and the gate of hell. Freedom's been given to every human being. And when God gives something, he's not taking it back. He's not lying. It's not just, well, gosh, golly, gee, I didn't really mean that. 
No, there's an authority that has been given to you that you'd better learn and you'd better use. Or the things the enemy will do in your life, and you can pray, beg, plead, where's God? Jesus, help me. And you don't understand the new covenant. The help has been done. The help has come. He has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness, and the authority that goes with it is yours. So Ephesians is a book that teaches on this a lot. And if you want to really begin, read the book of Ephesians over and over. Now, don't use a King James. I love the King James, but King James English is 400 years old, and probably 100 words they use aren't even, don't even mean the same thing. So get a new King James, or get a translation that's accurate, but speaks in modern-day vernacular. Now, I'll give you just a couple verses, just a couple, because it's so stunning, I could teach in here for hours on just this portion of Scripture. But in Ephesians chapter 1, and verse 20, it says, which God worked in Christ, it's talking about Jesus, when He raised Jesus from the dead and seated Him at His right hand. Where is God's right hand? In the throne room of heaven. So Jesus, who died on the cross, rose again. He took your sin and mine. He arose again with new life, which is yours and mine. And then he ascended to the throne room, and he is seated at the right hand of God. The right hand of a throne has always been the, the, the place of power. Whoever the king sits there in history, was his right hand is the right hand. That's where we get our term, the right hand man. Who's your right hand man? It means who's managing, who's administrating, who's got the power, who's got the authority that takes your orders and goes and gets it done. To the right hand of God is Jesus. And he's still in his earthly body. Okay? So he's there, and it says he's seated at the right hand in heavenly places. Then it says this Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father, is far above all principalities and powers and dominions. Now, principality, power, and dominions is just a three to four hundred year old terms that means demons, uh, you know, our enemy. And so it's saying, how far above is the authority and the power of Jesus? Well, a little bit? No, it is so far above. It says far above. How much? Far. How far is far? Far. How far? Far. Jesus is seated so far above every demonic entity and every bit of dominion that they might have with unsaved people and ungodly countries and every name that is named. You can name a country, you could name a disease, you could name something that's negative, and He is so far above that. And it says, and He's put all things under His feet. Whose feet? Jesus' feet. And this is important because then it says, and he gave Jesus to be the head over all things to the church. That's, now, church doesn't mean religious people. It means born-again Christ followers. Okay, There's lots of things called church and Christianity out there. They don't even come close to Jesus. But then it says, the church, which is his body. Whose body? Jesus' body. So he's the head, we're the body. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. Did you know that Ephesians and many other portions of Scripture, Romans and others I can think of, they continually try to explain to us that Jesus is the head, but you're the body. Meaning, the authority that's in the head is 
managed by the body. Okay? If my head is going, I want a drink right now, well, my head's not going to move the glass, but the hand goes out and grabs the glass. So he is trying to teach through all these different uh, pictures that Jesus is the head of the church. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and he is the head. We are the body of Christ. You hear it all the time. Well, what does that mean? It means you share the authority that Christ has. Now that freaks out people who are so stuck on, on humility. And you, know, and you know that it irritates people to see you succeed in God, to see you have a close relationship with God, to pray and have answers, to get up and talk about authority. Satan hates that, and religious people hate that. I'll get letters about this message. Wow, you don't understand, blah, blah, blah. You know, because there is an attack on anything that begins to explain to people you have authority. And not only do you have authority, but you have a responsibility to use it in your family, in your home, in your life. Now, there's lots of other teaching we're not going to get to, but there's places you can't use your authority. You can't make another human being do something with your authority, okay? They have their authority. And when the church begins to grow and use its authority, you can change nations. The church wants to sit around, suck its thumb, and wait for Jesus to come back. Then, listen to this, Ephesians 2, he keeps praying, and I just read to you from Ephesians 1. Ephesians 2, and by the way, there was no chapters and verses in the original letters. They were just added later on for reference sake and for teaching sake. But later on in the same letter, it says in Ephesians 2, 6, And God has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. At the right hand of God is Jesus, the head of the church. The head. We are the body. And then he says, and you are seated with him. You're not no low down, good for nothing, you know, unrighteous, two-tone skunk, the scum of the earth. No. You're made in the likeness and the image of God. So loved that he sent his son to die. And he's not wanting you to stay at the cross. Why? Because it says, He seated you. If God seated you with Jesus at the throne, what are you doing staying at the cross? See, we, we would use that, many of the teachers would use that because they didn't understand. The cross is where you go to when you first get born again and you realize all my sin, all my mistakes, all the sins I committed, all the things I should have done and I didn't do, He took them. And as I come to Jesus, I become a brand new creation. A brand new man. Now, if you want to keep someone humble, what you do, uh, as I traveled and spoke with different ministers, I got to remember where I was when I tell you this story. Remember where I was, Michaela. I would travel and speak, and I often wouldn't do altar calls because this is how they would do altar calls. A preacher would get up there, and he'd talk about sin. The sins of commission, the sins of omission, the sins of the fathers, your sins. Don't you think for a moment. And they would just preach sin, sin, sin. Then they'd have an altar call and they would pack it out. I mean, if I was to do that, I could pack out the altars from left to right as far back. Because we all have a sense when we look at ourselves of we know we're not perfect. And so you'd keep people at the cross. Keep dying to self. Keep Well, you're supposed to pick up your cross daily and follow me. What he means is just get up daily and die to that selfishness you. Just die to it. 
Keep following Christ. That's all it's saying. We made a whole doctrine of it. You know, Jesus, keep me near the cross. Stop. <laughs> Too late. God already moved you. You're seated with Jesus at his right hand. What's this? Keep me near the cross. I'll never forget the cross. I often spend time just thinking about what he did and the price that he's paid. But I'm not, I'm not standing near a cross. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. And when you see confident Christians, everyone thinks they're arrogant. Everyone thinks, oh, too much pride. Look out for pride. You know, cool. I agree. You better define humility because it is not this, you know, you know, walk around you know, cheap and poor and bad posture and poor clothes and bad wheels or whatever else you think humility is. No wonder generations won't serve God when we teach them to be subservient to the enemy in every one of his plans instead of recognizing you, my son, are a Bible-thumping-tongue-talking devil-stomping born-again child of the king. Nothing else. You've been raised up together and made to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus right now. That's what your position is, seated with the Father. Now, how much authority does Jesus have? Well, how much authority does the throne have? If he was sitting beside some king of a country, then whatever authority that king has to the right hand, who administrates and manages it, that's the amount of authority and power they use. Where's Jesus? At the right hand of God? In 1 Peter 5, you know, a number of years ago, a great, no, wasn't great, a book was written called This Present Darkness. And Frank Peretti tried hard to write this fiction novel about the warfare in the spirit world. And it really went. I mean, people picked it up. Movies were written. Songs were written about the war and the heavenlies, which is not even biblical, by the way. And uh, he made it look as though the enemy's kingdom is just below the kingdom of God, and they're at war. But the Bible doesn't say that. It says Jesus is far above all principalities and powers and dominions. Not close, far. Revelation says one angel will grab Lucifer, chain him up, and lock him up when his time is done. How many? One. Like, where do we get the craziness of some of the Christian doctrines? And so he would take the verse in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and on, where it says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and dominions. Put on the armor of God. It's kind of like, Aah. okay, that's chapter 6 you got to read chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, which says you have been lifted up with Jesus. You sit at the right hand of the Father, that you, you are far above all evil spirits and, and power and sickness and disease and poverty. We're far. But if you can keep people from understanding authority and make them think that Christians, we just cross our hands and go, God bless you. Bless you. And of course, bow your head a little bit. You look humble. And don't walk with a, you know, your chest out, your stomach in. Just kind of, you look proud. Just walk like a Christian. <laughs> Love you. Oh, don't hit me. Don't hit me. God bless you. Are you kidding me? You think Jesus walked that way? He, wherever Jesus went, 
Things screamed and cried out and sickness left. When you understand the authority of the believer, he's not saying we wrestle with demons, it's so bad. He's just saying, stop thinking it's people. It's not people, it's the spirit behind that person that they have no control, no authority over. Why are they so angry at you? I don't know. You know, When I worked at the hospital, I was a, one of the first paramedics came out of the Selkirk Hospital and we were in a program, a pilot program. But I worked in the hallways during the day with materials management. And so I'd walk down the hallways making sure that the materials the nurses needed, syringes, and were all stocked up. And there were certain nurses. Now, most people, they were cool with me. But there were some nurses that hated me. You knock in nurses? No, those are the most amazing men and women I've ever seen. In life, you'll have somebody, and you'll call it a personality conflict. I don't know why. I just can't stand that guy. I'll tell you why. Because the spirit in me is messing with the spirit in you. Something you can't see, but you can sense. Don't be alarmed by it. Don't be worried about it. So in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober, be watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, is he still an adversary? Yes. He is as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So resist him steadfast in your faith, knowing that the same sufferings are accomplished in your brethren who are in the world. That phrase has tripped some people up. He's just saying, don't think it's strange. Yeah, it's just normal. What's normal? Having an enemy. One lady said, would you pray for me? (laughs) I said, sure. What do you need prayer for? Would you pray that I have no more attacks from the devil? I said, do you really want me to pray that for you? Yes. And so you want me to pray for you to die right now? No. I said, you can't have a life with no attacks on the planet until you get to heaven. Jesus said, don't think it's strange with the fiery trials and people coming against you. And he's saying here, be careful, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, isn't a roaring lion. He is as a roaring lion. And then he says, resist him in your faith, knowing the same sufferings are all over the world. By suffering, he doesn't mean that he has, he's able to do it. It's the suffering of he just doesn't leave you alone. Like a little chihuahua just keeps biting your ankle. And just shut up and go home. You know? And so you got to be aware of him. Don't let your guard down. I find in my life, there's just simple things sometimes that I haven't done. Like I'll get going on things God's called me to do and things God hasn't called me to do, which can be a real drainer to your energy, your health, your emotions. There's times I push myself too hard. There's times I forget the authority that I've got. So I try every month to spend time in Ephesians or in great teaching on the authority because you tend to begin to drift back towards just being a mere human being. But you, my friend, are not a mere human being. You are blood-bought. You are a child of God. You sit at the right hand of Him. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And the authority that you have, you must learn through learning God's Word and rising up. There's things you have authority over and there's things you don't have authority over. But in your life, you have all authority. And in your family, you've got authority. And you'll learn that if you want prayer and you're in agreement, then together I can use the authority of God and pray over you. But just to go around thinking, i got authority, I'm going to tell you what to do and what's going to happen in your life. No, you don't. There's specific ways to pray with authority. You can't command someone to receive Christ, but you can bind the lies of the enemy. You can command the, 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 the pleasure that goes with sin to be stopped because these things don't have to do with his will. This has to do with Satan's repertoire of power. All right. So understand 
you have authority. Recognize it's time for me to read the Bible. If you come to church and there is no way for you to take notes or you don't go home and get that message and write it out, you're making a huge mistake. The Word of God is of no value to you in me. Where's Leon? We can't find him. You're never going to find me. I don't let anybody know where I am. Why? Because I've got a, a job from God to do, and it's not going to be interrupted by what you think my job from God is to do. I'm not to play the game of life for you. And wherever I am, I love praying for people. And But yes, but the job of a pastor and a leader is to raise you up so that you know your authority. And once you know your authority, you understand the responsibility so that the generations of your family begin to take this authority my time is up. Begin to take this authority and begin to declare it. If you're not speaking it, it's not happening. If you don't understand your authority and then use it in the name of Jesus, I command the assignment against my marriage stopped and broken in the name of Jesus. I command the assignment against my children who aren't serving God broken. I command the assignment of them against my body. Get off me. You have absolutely no hope. My stubborn faith will take you out every time. It's how you begin to think about the enemy and whatever he's doing. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Until you begin to feed on the Word of God and reboot your heart with correct doctrine, you will just be a defeated Christian, begging, pleading, bawling, squalling, and praying. Please, God. God's gone. Why? Because these beautiful letters, under the inspiration of Holy Spirit, this New Testament, this New Covenant, if you'll spend a little bit of time, you'll begin to find, you'll breathe in new air. You will walk with such confidence with your life, your finances, your marriage, your kids. I firmly am already speaking to the generations of Leon and Sally ahead of me. That when we're dead and gone, generations are going to be the worst thing Satan's ever found as they reach people for Christ and advance the kingdom of God, declaring they're going to laugh, love, and serve Jesus. And if I'm the pastor of this church, then every one of your kids are under my prayers as well. These generations are going to rise up and they're going to know who they are. They're not going to need some little joy from the party in the world because the authority they've got here is to walk out the best sex lives in their marriages, to walk out the best finances in their careers, to walk out the greatest friendships, and to walk out health and healing. And why? Because their authority is what they use to enforce. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And now that he's at the right hand of the Father and we are his body, we enforce it. What a different look. When I started teaching the authority, the men came alive in our church. I mean, for every on fire man, I usually had eight women. They're incredible. And then as I began to teach authority, you'd see men who were sitting there going, or some guys have the hockey game in their right ear. You thought, they thought I didn't notice. And, but when I began to teach them who they were in Christ and the authority of the believer, you'd see these men begin to rise up. And we got the most amazing men as well in our church who are believing and praying and speaking. God is good. My time is up. Stand with me quickly. I'm going to pray with you right now. Let's get some authority going. While I've been preaching, some of you are going, okay, now I understand this area of my life. If the enemy can't mess with you with your health, he'll mess with your finances. If he can't mess with your health or your finances, he'll take on your marriage. If he can't take on your marriage, he'll take on your kids. If he can't do that, he'll take on your mind. He's always messing somewhere, but your authority does not stop anywhere. Nothing by any means 
What's hurting you? Let me help you take authority. In fact, here's what I want you to do. We're all going to pray. All of us. I'll pray. And I want you to, just with the little you might have known, or maybe it's a great reminder to those who love God's Word, Let's just ignore one another and let's just like the sound of a brook and a river, all of us speaking, just speak to an area of your life and command the assignment of the enemy. Stop. Where is it? Is it against your body? Is it against your mind, your marriage, your home, your health? I don't know. Just close your eyes. And for the next 30 seconds, all I'm giving you, just Jesus' name, Father, I command the assignment against my marriage, Mom. In Jesus' name, come on, speak, speak up. In Jesus' name, I command the assignment against my children finished. They're coming home to the things of God. In the name of Jesus, I command the assignment against my mind gone. Joy and laughter are going to be mine. In Jesus' name, I command the assignment of the enemy against my business and my career finished. And in the name of Jesus, life and blessing and health and everything flows in my life. If you don't speak up, nobody else has the authority over you except you. Just take a moment. I'm just giving you 30 seconds. Just close your eyes. Ignore everybody else. Who cares what they know? In just Jesus' name, the authority invested in me, I speak it over my life. Father, the authority invested in me over Springs Church, I speak it over this church. People coming in from the north, the south, the east, the west. Father, I declare a place of healing and joy, a place of launching people into great ministries and careers. Father, a place filled with the joy and the peace of God is what I declare. Every assignment of the enemy broken in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. See, us Pentecostals charismatics, we've made it that we don't think God moves unless you get a band playing 43 songs, getting everybody weeping, and then pray. Oh no. Most of the prayers I pray, I have no emotion attached. No emotion. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm not moved by what I'm thinking at that point. I'm moved by what the Word of God says. And so you ought to see, I'm always kind of on. My prayer life is switched on. And if I notice something, I'm speaking out loud. I'll just Sometimes if I'm in a public, I'll speak under my breath. But, in, but I'm speaking, no. I command that thing to stop. I've, seen, I've had people walk into my life, people trying to kill me, people trying to do stuff. I just say, in Jesus' name, I take authority against that spirit. And that person just fizzles. <laughs> because of what's behind the stuff that is going on. So my challenge is to come on, get up, and let's use the authority. Let's go change the world. Let's go change this nation. Change your kids. Be a different person as you begin to grow in this authority.